I'm the thing in the dark. I'm the creature coming up from the basement. The thing under the bed. I have nothing to fear in the dark. I am the dark. I am afraid. Don Kurtigich, The Dead House. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Today we are discussing young adult horror. Since neither Stephanie nor I read a lot of YA fiction, we decided we needed some backup. So joining us today, we have Cameron Chaney. You may know him as the book movie guy on his YouTube channel, or as the author of the horror novella, There Are Monsters Here. Together, we will delve into the world of horrific teen drama in this episode of Books in the Freezer. So, Cameron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Oh, that's so good. As I was saying, neither of us read a lot of young adult books, so we thought this was a perfect excuse to get you on the podcast as a guest. Before we get into the main topic, I thought we'd give you a chance to introduce yourself to the listeners that may not know you. And you can tell them a little bit about the kind of horror stories that you like. Sounds great. Let's go. So tell me, what are your go-to horror stories? I can get into anything horror-related from dark and psychological to fun and gory slashers. Even horror comedies, because horror doesn't always have to be scary. But what I actively look for in horror are stories that are, I guess, a little bit more on the melancholy side. I like being scared. But I like to feel a little something more at the same time. So you like being depressed? I don't know if I like being depressed, but I just like getting a little something more out of my stories. I like that. Yeah, it's like that gut punch moment. Oh, yeah. Did you read horror as a teenager? And if you did, was it what we would call YA horror? I've been reading horror literally since I was a toddler. I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't read it myself, but my mom, she would read Goosebumps to me from the time I was two or three years old. Your mom is so cool. Well, the thing is, my mom hated horror, so it was really weird. She would take me to the library whenever my sisters were at cheerleading practice, and I would go straight for the Goosebump books because I would watch it on TV. So she read them to me, and to her, they weren't as bad as uh, some of the other horror books stories that were out there like Stephen King and whatnot. So she was fine with them. But as a teen, while I still read a lot of Goosebumps, I moved on to YA horror like Fear Street and Point Horror. Like I said, my mom didn't like horror, so I wasn't allowed to read Stephen King or other adult horror authors until I was 18. Then she was fine with it. But I could get like YA horror past my mom pretty easily. My mom was the same way. I was not allowed to read Stephen King. But like since I was in elementary school, I was bringing home Goosebumps books. So... I get it. Yeah, she was fine with me, like, buying the books. I would go to a used bookstore and buy, like, a bunch of Stephen King paperbacks for $2 a piece. She was fine with that, but I wasn't allowed to actually read them. She thought they would be worth money at some point. So she had the money thing in mind, but I was like, no, I just want to be able to read these as soon as I turn 18. Oh, that's hilarious that you had these books, but you couldn't yeah. actually read them? Exactly. <laughs> that's too funny. I'm glad both of you read YA horror as teenagers because I was off reading Nancy Drew. Horror was not on my radar at the time. So I'm glad you guys can actually talk more about the Goosebump books and Fear Street. It's never too late to start. 
So I do want to talk a little bit about your horror story because you have published a novella called There Are Monsters Here, which I've read and I can say that I love it. Definitely recommend it to any of our listeners. And this is a story about a family where each member has their own personal monster that follows them around. Only they can see it, but to them it's very real. I just thought it was such a creative idea. Can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind it? Well, first, I'm really happy to hear that you loved it. That, oh, so good. That means a lot to me. Most of my stories are inspired either by personal experience or what I'm feeling while I'm writing. Uh, writing is kind of a therapeutic outlet for me. It helps me to cope when I'm feeling low or depressed, which is probably why my stories tend to be a little bit more on the sad side, again, with the melancholy theme. I like writing about themes of loneliness, loss, grief, addiction, divorce, depression, and then looking for hope within all of that. So There Are Monsters Here definitely came from a personal place. I won't go into it because I want readers to be able to pull whatever they want from it, but it was definitely something I needed to write. I know when I was reading it, I was definitely thinking that the monsters could be real and at the same time, they definitely could represent figurative demons, the burdens we bear. So I know I kept reading all these extra meanings into it and being like, oh, did he mean to say that? Or am I reading too much into it? Yeah, well, I think that's a good thing about reading is that you can connect to it any way you want. But yeah, the story can definitely go either way. So I'm glad that you you read into that. Is there another story in the work? Because I'd really love to read something else by you. Oh, well, in terms of other horror stories in the works, I have so, so many. I am writing a YA horror novel right now that may slightly tie into There Are Monsters Here in some ways. The working title is Autumn Crow, which isn't the official title. That's just the name of the fictional town that I like to base my stories in. It's a really weird town. Everybody in this town is obsessed with Halloween, and it's kind of like Halloween there year-round, which is like my dream town. I would love to be in a town where it's just Halloween all the time. So I like to base my stories there. So that's one main work in progress that I have going on right now. But I'm also planning a horror fantasy trilogy, which is super complex and very daunting. So maybe a little bit out of my league at the moment. It's very, very scary to think about. Uh, But I have a bunch of other short stories going on right now. Some ones that I want to send into anthologies before the end of the year and hopefully get published in those as well. Oh, well, you have to keep us posted because I thought it was great. Definitely. Also, I will say that There Are Monsters Here just got picked up for an anthology. It was originally published as an ebook, but there is a paperback anthology that's coming out as a charity benefit for Scares That Care, and it's called uh, Fight the Real Monsters. So my story is going to be included in that aside from stories like uh, Ramsey Campbell, Jonathan Mayberry, Brian Keene. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to be in with all of those authors that I've been reading for years. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you know when that's going to come out? I imagine around Halloween time. They're uh, getting all the stories compiled right now. They've got the artwork mostly done for the cover. It looks really cool. So... Oh, that is so exciting. I know, right? I think it will fit in just perfect with that collection. Like I said, there's there's so many layers to your story that it sounds like a perfect fit for an anthology like that. Awesome. Thank you so much. So both of us read a lot of YA horror when we were younger, but I think you'll probably agree with me that there's definitely been a rise in awareness towards teens and young adults recently. Why do you think that is? As much as I really don't care about the series myself, I would say it all goes back to Twilight, honestly. It truly launched this YA craze as we know it. Uh, So that's a good thing. You know, a lot of great books have come from it, even if I'm 
not partial to Twilight myself, but at least it's gathered a lot of readers and created a new generation of readers. So that's a good thing. Yeah, I can see that. That was definitely a phenomenon. Yeah, that happened. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, Hunger Games and everything came from it. So Yes, of course. And it's been cool to see the rise, I think, of IA horror particularly, because I think that one's been a little bit of slower growth. Obviously, there's a lot more dystopian and different kinds of YA that have gotten popular, but I feel like horror is slowly nudging in there that you see more and more horror YA books getting published these days. Yeah, because it was huge in the 90s. You had Fear Street, you had Point Horror, you had all of these great young adult horror books that were just, you know, a boom on the market. And then they started fizzling out, and that's when Twilight and Hunger Games and things like that came along. So it's nice to see that it's working its way back into the market. What do you think the difference is are between YA horror and what we would call like adult horror? I think the only main differences at this point are the ages of the characters. Like I said, in the 90s, YA horror was very popular, but it never really got as dark as adult horror. Maybe gory at times, but never very dark. But now that YA authors can write whatever they want, the horror can be dark and twisted and disturbing. So I would say the only difference at this point is the age of the characters. And then, of course, maybe some romance tied in there every once in a while. Yeah, there's definitely been a rise in it recently. So when I was going through and looking at different YA horror book titles, I noticed a few similarities. And one is that Oftentimes they follow like a gothic or Disney formula, which I feel like is to find a way to get rid of the parents or to separate the main characters away from the parents to give them a little more autonomy within the story. Is that something you've noticed as well? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I noticed that with a lot of different genres in terms of children's books, the parents are hardly ever around. I think it just gives more power to the, the kid characters and maybe makes the child readers feel like they can also you know, do more on their own without parents being there. I don't know if that's a good influence or a bad influence, but either way, I see that it's a theme a lot in kids' books and YA. In Disney movies, I remember growing up thinking that nothing exciting was ever going to happen to me unless I was orphaned, because that's what Disney movies taught me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like teens and horror have always been, you know, connected to each other. I mean, if you watch old slasher movies, it's always like teens at a cabin in the woods. And do you think there are books that have been published that we could retroactively consider to be YA, something like Carrie, because she is a teen protagonist, she's in high school, and she is dealing with like teen issues throughout the story? Oh, totally. There's one other book that I can think of. I've not actually read it. I really should, because I've read Paperbacks from Hell by Grady Hendrix, and I loved it. But I hear that My Best Friend's Exorcism could also be good for YA readers. Oh, definitely. I've not read it myself, but I'm looking forward to reading it. But I hear a lot about that book. Like I said, those darker stories, they relate to teenagers nowadays uh, more than before. So I think it could work. For sure. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that YA books have gotten a lot darker these days because before recording this episode and finding our book recommendations, I was of the mindset that YA horror was basically watered down adult horror. I was like, okay, it calls itself horror. But you know, I was a little bit eye rolling. I admit I can be a little bit of a snob when it comes to YA versus adult. I'm learning but I do really lean towards adult books just because I like to have those mature themes. I like when authors don't have to censor themselves. It's just my personal reading preferences. 
which tend to make me look in the adult section when I'm looking for a book. But one of the books I'm going to be talking about a little later in the episode completely proved me wrong. I was shocked how much gory and gruesome content they are allowed to put in YA horror. So I was originally going to talk all about how, again, it's it's quieter, it's cuter, etc. But once I actually read the books that we were going to discuss in this episode, I was like, never mind. YA horror is terrifying. Yeah, they can get pretty grim. I find at times there can be an element of romance, like you mentioned. Adult horror might be one of those few genres that gets away with skipping romance, which tends to show up in pretty much every other genre. But unfortunately, I do see it kind of still sneaking into some of the YA books. And I guess it's just part of what publishers or marketers believe young adults are looking for in their books. So they, I don't know if they encourage the authors to put those elements in there. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I've read a lot of current YA horror books that did involve a lot of romance, sometimes far, far more than I prefer. I feel like in some of the YA horror books that I've read, they can be darker, they can be a little bit more on the grim side, and I've seen a lot of like the love interests just get killed off. And I was like, whoa, did not expect that from a YA book. (laughs) That's kind of what I like about it. Yeah, the stakes are high. Yeah, that makes it kind of fun being like, okay, we'll have this romance, but she's not going to make it to the end of the book. Yeah, keeps you on your toes. Yes. On a more positive note, I would actually say that YA horror is a lot better of representing minorities and including diverse themes in their books. Without trying, both of the books I'm going to recommend today feature non-white main characters and have a lot of elements of diversity. And like I said, I was not trying. I was not specifically searching for YA diverse horror. It just happened to be the first two books I picked up and loved. And I will say that's not typically the case with adult horror. We could and will, I'm sure, do a full episode talking about the need for diversity in horror. But that's something I think there's a lot more pressure maybe from young adult publishers to include diverse representation. And I was really impressed actually to see just how it was woven into the story and was just made part of the plot and just included in there really seamlessly. Yeah, totally. I have read quite a few young adult horror novels that had, you know, great diverse characters. And then I've read other ones that were full of diversity, but I don't think it handled it as well. It it kind of put the plot aside and made it mostly just about the diverse characters, which is fine. But when I'm reading a horror story, I want, you know, more of the plot. So there are a few really great ones out there that have tied the diverse characters and the plot together flawlessly. And yeah, I've read a lot like that. So let's actually talk about our specific book recommendations. And since I was just talking about diversity in young adult horror, I want to talk about my first book, which is The Girl from the Well by Rin Chapico. This book is about a teenage girl that was brutally murdered 300 years ago when a man threw her body down a well. That man was never brought to justice, so now that dead teenage girl is trapped as a spirit taking her revenge on other child killers. The story specifically follows a boy with strange tattoos that moves into her neighborhood. He is followed by another spirit, and this one is a lot more dangerous. From there, the two characters are drawn together into this world of creepy doll rituals and dark Shinto exorcisms that take them from the American suburbs all the way over to Japan. And I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was really unique. Right off the bat, I 
was worried when the boy was introduced. I was like, oh no, it's going to be a love interest. They're going to fall in love. But that is not the case. There really is very little romance attraction in this book. And I know I've said before, but I really enjoy Japanese culture and I love when it's woven into a story. This one has been pitched as the YA version of The Grudge. And it's certainly not as intense. I don't want to set up the wrong expectations, but it does have that Japanese influence, which I love. As is common in Japanese literature, there's a focus on spirits, particularly ones that are vengeful. And there's just some really good moments in it. Of the two books I'm going to talk about, this one is a lot less scary. But the first scene was actually pretty intense. It starts off with that vengeful spirit killing a man. And it was actually giving me some goosebumps. The way the story's written, it's almost written in a fragmented sentence format. So you'll be reading a sentence and partway through the sentence, the author will just jump to the next line on the page. And that broken sentence structure really is very jarring and almost kind of plays with your head a little bit. And the other thing the author plays with a lot is sound. The spirit is constantly making these gurgling sounds. Bring that into the book and actually hearing that gurgling was really creepy. Have either of you read this? No, I haven't. I haven't either. I've been wanting to. I put this one as room temperature just because I didn't find it super scary, but it was still chilling. I'll, I'll give it props. Yeah, it sounds really creepy. I definitely need to pick it up sometime. I wonder if it would be even better as an audiobook because then the narrator would have to actually do the sounds. Ooh, that's a yeah. good idea. That would be really good. Oh. You should definitely check it out in audio. I will have to give that a try. Because seriously, nothing is more scary than gurgling. <laughs> That was like the only part of the Grudge movie that really creeped me out was that gurgling sound she made. It was very unsettling. Uh, yeah. So my pick was one that when I decided to make YouTube videos on BookTube, you know, when I first discovered the the community, I watched a lot of YA people just because that's the majority of BookTube. And this was a book that was on every single person's shelf that I watched. And I loved the cover and it definitely piqued my curiosity and it was always something I wanted to read. And this was a perfect excuse to try it. So this is Slasher Girls and Monster Boys. And it was an anthology compiled by April Genevieve Tucholki. And this is a YA anthology. And each story is inspired from a classic story, whether it's a movie or a book. They're not always horror, but it's really fun to read the stories and kind of try to figure out what the inspiration was behind them. So some of my favorites were, I really loved the first story that was Birds of Azalea Street, and then In the Forest, Dark and Deep, and then one called Sleepless. So the story In the Forest, Dark and Deep, that's the one that caught me off guard and got really dark, and I did not expect it to go where it went. So I also had that moment, Rachel, where I was like, oh, oh, wow. Oh, you did that. Okay. So at the end of the story, they do mention what inspired that particular story. So you'll be reading it and then they're like, you know, inspired by I Know What You Did Last Summer or Psycho or things like that. And I really loved the teenage point of view in the stories and really honing in on, you know, adolescent anxieties. I thought this really helped the story Birds of Azalea. And I did find a quote that I really liked that was, teenage girls know more than we're given credit for. We sense danger even when everyone's telling us it's fine. He's a perfectly nice man, an upstanding member of our community. 
have you tasted his sugar cream pie? And just coning in on that anxiety of like sensing something's wrong and not being believed was handled really well. I'm going to put this at room temperature just because the only story that like really freaked me out was in the forest dark and deep. But these were really fun and I had a great time reading them and I definitely recommend them. You know, Rachel has mentioned before that short fiction is a really good way to get into the genre. So if you want to give Y horror a try, you know, trying it in short doses might work as a good entry point for it. I totally agree. I read Slasher Girls and Monster Boys and loved it, yeah. especially in the forest dark and deep. Totally freaked me out yeah. when I first read it. That bunny. Oh, my gosh. I was just like, all right, this is dark. And then it kept going. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there were times where I was hiking in the woods and I'd be like running along the path going for a jog. And I would look out into the trees and feel like I was going to see that image. And it really creeped me out. You both have me so intrigued. I definitely need to check this one out. Just from oh, what yes. you're talking about, I need to know what this like evil bunny is. It's so creepy. And even I love the fact you mentioned that a lot of these stories are inspired by different, more classic horror stories. And that almost sounds like a really good jumping off point for readers to go on to read more horror stories. And I think that's a big thing with YA horror is, in my mind, my hope for the genre is that you're going to get teenagers picking up those stories and then, like Cameron, going on to read horror regularly as an adult and really help to grow a new generation of horror lovers. I think if you really like a story, you might go, well, now I want to see what Psycho is all about. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, that's one I will absolutely check out. If that story creeped you out, I need to see it for myself. Takes a lot to scare me and it got under my skin. Oh, that's good. So the book that I am talking about is The Dead House by Don Kurtikich. And The Dead House follows a girl named Caitlin who may not actually be a real girl. She is the alter ego of Carly, a girl who has been institutionalized after the tragic death of her parents. However, in the mind of Caitlin and Carly, they're like twins sharing the same body. So Carly gets the body during the day, and sometime in the evening, Caitlin takes over. And the story follows Caitlin specifically. So the entire book is set up using different forms of media, like psychiatric reports, interviews and letters that Caitlin and Carly write to each other, uh, since that's their only way of communication. However, one night, the letters from Carly stop coming and Caitlin is left to wonder uh, what happened and to worry alone in the dark. This is when she begins hearing voices in her head, when the nightmares begin, and when she starts getting the feeling that she's being watched by some unknown presence. And not to mention the smell of wet fur in her room at night, which is very, very creepy. So we slowly begin to wonder if Caitlin slash Carly is really crazy or if there's something much darker at work. Like I said, I don't usually get scared by books. This book scared me. There are a lot of freezer-worthy scenes. I would say for the most part, I would put it in the fridge, but they had those times where I'd be reading it before bed and I was like, I should probably not be reading this right now. So I'd have to close it up and set it aside until morning. So definitely some freezer scenes in there. There's a lot of misdirection. I had no idea what the heck was happening until the end, which wrapped up everything beautifully. It's a rather melancholy book which made me care for Caitlin. It gave me anxiety for her surrounding what was happening. 
So that helped me to connect to her a little bit more. So again, with the melancholy theme. Also, Don Kurtikich has a personal connection to the story. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Yeah, she had a liver transplant several years ago. And before the transplant, her health was in very poor condition. She lost a lot of weight. She was down to like 90 pounds. And because of all of the prescriptions that she was on, she wasn't able to sleep. She had a lot of insomnia. So she was up almost every night and she would sleep during the day. So the theme here is that when she was awake uh, at night, everybody else is asleep. So she felt so alone. So that really plays into the book because Caitlin, she's awake during the night. So she wanders around while everybody's asleep. She's very, very lonely. I can see that Dawn's experience with her health issues really played into her book. And I can tell that it really helped her through that, being able to write the story. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so that's The Dead House by Don Kurtikich. But also her other book, And the Trees Crept In, is definitely worth the read. Yeah, I know you've really gushed about all her books. I have read The Dead House, and I agree with you about the freezer-worthy scenes. There were a few scenes, particularly towards the end. I don't know if it's spoiler to say what, but there's this one scene where it really freaked me out. I don't want to spoil too much, but you might even know what scene I'm thinking about. Oh, totally. Yeah, there's there's quite a few in there that were, they're a little more on the subtle side. It's mostly the imagery. It just really creeps on you and makes you feel uneasy. Yeah, and I really like the multimedia. It's a book you really have to see for yourself. Getting to page through the the letters in the psychiatric review was really cool to see. I'm definitely a sucker for any multimedia in books. I know, Stephanie, you've read Night Film, and this book has a really similar style where some of the pages are not traditional novel pages, but instead letters and interviews, etc. So I could see you liking that aspect of it as well. Oh, yeah. I definitely like when books are told in that way. It immerses you in the story. So I have to gush about my second pick. I'm actually a little bit obsessed. It's pretty much a new favorite of mine. And that is The Merciless by Daniel Vega. So this story is told from the perspective of a teenage girl, Sophia, who has recently moved to a new school where she makes friends with a clique of popular girls. There is also another girl at that school, Brooklyn, who is a bit of an outcast. She dresses weird, and there's a lot of rumors going around that she's been chanting weird things at schools. So as a group of good Catholic schoolgirls, Sophia's new friends become convinced that Brooklyn is possessed by a demon and proceed to kidnap her and attempt to exercise that demon. Is that not the most crazy synopsis you've ever heard? Yes. So crazy. (laughs) This book is insane. I did not expect this story. If you've seen the cover of this, it's a really cute hardcover. It looks like bubblegum pink. You expect to find the cutest little YA story, and what we got instead was totally different. This is the book I mentioned before when I went in going, oh yeah, YA horror, this will be cute, this will be like an entry point, and you know, creep you out a little bit, and make you maybe have goosebumps, and like I said, completely patronizing. I had a lot of baggage going into this episode, and this book completely changed my opinion. I just love this. This book has been marketed as Mean Girls Meets the Exorcist, and I can totally see why. This book does have some teen drama at the beginning. 
But once a story gets started, it gets crazy. And I highly recommend you go and check it out because it's so worthwhile. The idea of the exorcism was bizarre. These girls, as you can imagine, are not professionals. Normally in exorcism stories, you get a proper Catholic priest. He has his rituals and it follows a particular format but what these girls end up doing I don't want to say too much but it basically is torture they basically tie up this girl and proceed to violently injure her in terrible ways in order to get the demon out torture is the only word to describe this it's brutal and the horror of this book really comes from the terrible things that people or in this case teenage girls do to each other And these girls are terrible. I did not know a book could be this gruesome and dark and still be considered to be a young adult book. Like it has a warning on it saying not for younger readers. So I think it's meant for like older teenagers. So I don't know how they even got away with sticking it in the section. It's ultra violent. And I would put this in the freezer. So I did not expect to be putting a YA book in the freezer for this episode. But I can't rate it any lower than that. It was one of the most gruesome and violent books i've actually read this year it was really intense that is awesome crazy i haven't read the book myself which i'm honestly a little bit mad at myself for not getting to it because i've had it on my shelf for several months now but uh, when it first came out i was at barnes and noble with my sister and we were looking through the ya section and she picked up the book she was like oh what's this and then she saw the pentagram on the cover (laughs) and she like flipped it to the back and it said, forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. And she like yes. opened to the front and it said intended for mature audiences. And she like closed the book and <laughs> threw it on the shelf and walked away. And then I reached over, grabbed it, and I wound up buying it that day. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but I'm so mad at myself for not getting to it. So I definitely need to do that this year. Oh, same now. Yeah, you both need to read this. I want to talk about it with more people because I am gushing over this book. Okay, for my next pick, I went back to my roots. I went with old school stuff. Cameron, I don't know if you ever read any Lois Duncan when you were younger. Did you ever pick her up? I did. I love Lois Duncan. So for those of you who are not aware of Lois Duncan's influence, she was the author that wrote the book that became the movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and also Teaching Mr. Griffin, which ended up becoming the movie Teaching Miss Tingle. She wrote in the 70s. So I decided to pick something up by her just to get nostalgic over YA horror. So the one I picked up was Down a Dark Hall, and this takes place in an exclusive boarding school called Blackwood that only has four students. And the main character, Kit, walks down the halls and just feels a chill, and she doesn't know what terror waits around the next corner. So I liked this story because it it did play around with some gothic themes, some large foreboding buildings with you know, sketchy histories that you hear from the locals and ghost stories. It reminded me a little bit of Suspiria, but this actually came out before Suspiria, which I thought was funny. Interesting. I did not realize that. Yeah, this was written in like 75, and I think Suspiria came out in 77. Wow. Yeah. So the version I read was updated for modern times. So when she is trying to get a hold of her parents and writing letters, she's like, I pulled out my laptop and wrote them in email which you know back then it said like I wrote them a letter (laughs) so it was funny it was a really quick read and yeah it was just really fun to get in that nostalgic setup for the story and I did not see the twist coming like I was reading it and I'm like something's up with the school like there's a reason these girls were picked 
and I don't know what it is. And even at the end, I'm like, that is really weird. And I would have never guessed that. <laughs> so it was it was definitely like a fun story and a twist that I didn't guess. So it was really fun to go down memory lane. I would put this at room temperature because Cameron mentioned at the beginning, it's only recently that YA horror has started to get like super dark. So I would say in the 70s, you know, your team protagonists and stuff are, are still going to be on the safe side. Like I said, the mystery and twist were super interesting, but it was a little more suspenseful. It was definitely very atmospheric, like when she talks about the building that the school is in. But I wouldn't say it was super scary. But yeah, that is Down a Dark Hall. I haven't actually read Down a Dark Hall myself, but I've read a lot of other Lois Duncan's books. I've read, you know, like I Know What You Did Last Summer and Killing Mr. Griffin, which is, I think, my favorite book of yeah. hers. So I definitely need to get to Down at Our Call. I think I have that on my shelf somewhere. And I haven't read any Lois Duncan. This is such an episode of shame for me. (laughs) I feel feel so out of the loop. Shame. Shame. (laughs) So what's your last pick, Cameron? My last pick is another old school series. This one is the Fear Street series by R.L. Stein, which is a 90s YA horror series that revolves around Fear Street, which is a street in Shadyside, Ohio where weird and horrible things happen. That's the basic premise for the series. It is a huge series. There are multiple books. There's probably over 100 in total because there's lots of spin-off series. So there's so many books. I used to read these books as a teen and just love them. They were full of murder and mystery. There were ghosts. It just had everything that I loved but wasn't allowed to read, but I could get these past my mom. (laughs) I'm sure if my mom read these herself back in the day, she would have been a little more uneasy about me reading them just because of the body count. And there was some kissing as well. So she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have wanted that. So edgy. Yeah. Which I didn't, I didn't really care for the kissing myself. So I just tried to tune that out and just focus on the blood and the gore. But by today's standards, these books are very dated And very cheesy, but that's what I love about them. I love revisiting them and getting to see the 90s represented in book form. It's great. Do you still reread them today, like as an adult? Totally. All the time. I try to read a couple every year. Like I said, there's hundreds of them, so it's hard to read all of them. So there's still a bunch that I've never read. But I I do like to go back and revisit some of my favorite Fear Street books every once in a while. I used to love these. They're so much fun. For someone like me who really didn't read a lot of the classic YA horror, what's the difference between Fear Street and Goosebumps in your opinion? Like, how would you compare the two series? So Goosebumps was for like ages 8 to 12. So they were full of monsters, but they never really got very scary. And then Fear Street came and it was aimed toward teenagers. And they kind of both started at the same time. However, Arl Stein had written a few young adult horror novels before Goosebumps, like back in 89, I believe. So Goosebumps came along and then Fear Street was for the teenage crowd and they included more murder. Like I said, they had a higher body count, so you never know who was going to die off. They were more like murder mysteries, but they did include ghosts and the supernatural every once in a while. Oh, that's fun. And I should mention for people who aren't familiar with your YouTube channel is you have an insane collection of horror books. Because you've collected a lot of, I know, Goosebumps, and I assume Fear Street as well. Oh, yeah. Do you know how many you own? I have no idea. I buy so many books, and I try to get them really cheap, so I buy them in bulk. So I I just have masses of books coming into my library over the years, and it's really hard to keep track. But yes, I have a lot of Goosebumps, Fear Street, which were mostly from my childhood, 
And then I also have a lot of 90s adult horror paperbacks that are really cheesy and fun. So I have a big collection of those as well. No, I definitely encourage people to go check out your bookshelf tours because your collection is insane. And I just love looking at it. For someone who doesn't even have the nostalgia of reading those books as a kid, I still love seeing your collection. Yeah, I love enforcing my love of these books on other people. (laughs) Well, should we talk about some other creepy things we're loving at the moment? Yes. Sure, let's do it. All right, well, I'm going to go first, and speaking of old school, I'm going with Five Nights at Freddy's, which is a pretty classic horror video game. I played it on PC, but it's now available on phones and other mobile devices, so I feel pretty safe recommending it since you don't need to have a gaming console in order to play it. The basic concept is that it's a game with a first-person perspective where you play as a security guard at a kid's birthday party center that has these incredibly creepy animatronic dolls. So think of something like a Chuck E. Cheese, but with the creepiest robot dolls you have ever seen that are all dressed in different costumes, like there's a duck and a bunny, and they are just terrifying. So every night, the dolls wake up and they start to move around whenever you aren't looking at them. And of course, you only have this limited amount of power that you need to last through the night. And so every time that you check your security cameras or turn on the lights to check the hallways, it uses power. And so you try to use as little power as possible. So you just peek at the security cameras. You just flip on the lights really quickly to make sure that one of these dolls isn't right around the corner about to jump on you. And the basic idea or goal behind the game is to survive the five night shifts. And I've been playing this game off and on for months now, and I cannot get past night two. I try so hard, but I don't know if I'm just really bad at it. It is possible to get past first couple nights. Like, you can win this game. I'm just bad at it. Oh, that's funny. Oh, it's so much fun. And the whole game basically relies on jump scares, which I've mentioned work so well on me. So you can imagine, just picture you're sitting in the dark, and it's great to play this game with the lights off if you can in your computer room or wherever you're playing on your phone. But it's super dark, and you're just like, oh, I should check the hallway once more. So you flip on a light, and all of a sudden, there's like this giant evil bunny robot just staring at you. So I would just scream Uh when I played it. (laughs) Gets me every time. I'm one of those suckers that, you know, you laugh at in the movie theater that just screams their head (laughs) off during every jump scare. That's me. So even though it's an older game, there was a new version that just came out called Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria Simulator, which came out in 2017. And this is a restaurant simulation where you work as a franchise owner, and it's kind of the same idea. You try to work as the franchise owner every night, putting in orders, upgrading your restaurant, but you still have evil creepy dolls that are trying to kill you every night. I prefer the original Five Nights at Freddy's, but... There's lots of different versions. There's several sequels that came out. So there's lots to play through if you're better than me and can actually get past night two. So I get a lot of gameplay out of my games because I'm really bad at them. So a game that should probably take you, I don't know, 20 hours to play, I can get 40 hours out easily. (laughs) That's funny. Well, I dread going to Chuck E. Cheese for birthday parties. So it sounds like a nightmare to me. Oh my gosh, I agree. They're just so creepy on their own. Like they could have just put the exact same dolls and I I would have been creeped out. Totally. But their pizza is so good. That is true. So my recommendation is a smaller podcast called Mabel. And it is one of those fictional uh, podcasts. And it's told through voicemail messages. 
When I was listening to it, it really reminded me of, I don't know if you guys have seen the Netflix movie, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in Your House. No, not yet. I haven't, but yeah, it's on my list too. Yeah, it's just a very slow and eerie story. So the setup for the story is that an elderly woman's live-in caretaker leaves the woman's granddaughter, Mabel, voicemail messages. And at first she reaches out to her and introduces herself and says, you know, like, I am taking care of your grandma and like, this is some stuff that's been going on. I don't know if you're getting these messages. And the messages start out very formal in the first episode. And then as they go on, they just become this stream of consciousness confessional thing where this woman is just confessing like really weird stuff and just telling her stuff that's going on throughout the day. It's not like scary. There's not like jump scares. There's just eeriness and I am not sure how I feel about the woman leaving the messages or what we're supposed to think of Mabel or just the stuff that she says happens in the house and it's just like uneasy you're just like what is going on so it's kind of an indie thing but I would suggest checking it out if that sounds interesting to you it sounds awesome I've never heard of that before yeah I like that you're good at finding ones that are a little less popular because there's like the really big popular horror fiction podcast that I feel like everyone knows about. So I love that you're good at finding those kind of lesser known hidden gems. I asked on Facebook and I had a bunch of people suggest stuff. And this was one that I checked out and I really liked right away. Like I tried a few out, but this is one that I stuck with. Awesome. So it's my turn. Yeah. So tell us, what's the one creepy thing you're loving right now? Well, I love everything creepy. So it's it's Halloween every day in the world of Cameron. But one thing that I'm really enjoying right now is the show called The Core on Shudder. Shudder is a, a streaming service. I think it's like $4.99 a month, so it's not very expensive. But there is a new horror-themed talk show on Shudder, and it's hosted by Mickey Keating. And it's basically like film school for horror nerds. It has a lot of awesome horror directors and actors that come on, and they talk about their movies. It often has makeup effects artists who come on and they walk you through all of the gore effects so there's also a lot of funny skits and funny add-ins that they put in also i saw an episode where they interviewed mary heron for one episode who directed american psycho it's definitely one of my favorite episodes because she's so eloquent and she's so informative with the way she speaks so i learned a lot from that episode so it's definitely a really cool show that i recommend That'd be so good to check out. I always think that you get to watch these really crazy horror movies, and I always want to see the directors and the inspiration behind them, like be like, okay, well, who directed this crazy thing? And I know a lot of times you mentioned like they can end up being very articulate people and of course are nothing like the crazy horror movies they put out, but I think that'd be a lot of fun. Totally. A lot of horror directors are some of the nicest people I've ever come across, so it's really cool to see that and get to hear them talk. I gotta get Shudder. (laughs) Like I said, it's only four ninety nine a month. It's the best deal ever. I always recommend it to everybody. I had the trial and then I stopped it. And so now they keep emailing me and saying like, oh, we have a deal coming on and showing all the movies and TV shows that are on there. I'm like, oh, they're so good. They keep tempting me. So I, I'm probably going to pick it up for at least another couple months because they know how to keep tempting me and it's, it's working. It's working very well. <laughs> good job marketing people. Give it a try. It's pretty cool. So Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. And you can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. Or you can email us at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. The show notes for this episode and all previous episodes will be found at booksinthefreezer.wordpress.com. 
I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on YouTube as That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange or on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. And I'm Cameron. You can find my horror novella, There Are Monsters Here, available as an ebook on Amazon for 99 cents, as well as in paperback in the Fight the Real Monsters anthology coming sometime later this year. I'm also on YouTube as Cameron Cheney, on Twitter at BookMovieGuy, as well as on Instagram at BookMovieGuy. And you can also find my articles on the Nightmare on Film Street podcast. Thank you very much. And join us next time for Books in the Freezer. <laughs>